It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Good morning and welcome to The Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. Our text number, as always, 086-1800-658, which is also our WhatsApp number, 086-1800-658. Coming up this morning, we will be taking another look at the crisis between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael over the confidence and supply arrangement. Councillor Joe Boner and Alan Tobin, Fianna Gael Councillor and Mead County Council, will be telling us about their meeting regarding the N2 crisis for commuters on, along the N2 particularly around the Kuraha region as every morning and every evening so many motorists are stuck in traffic. Richie Culhan will be joining us to look at the appointment of the new Garda Commissioner Drew Harris and his first couple of days in office and Casey O'Reardon will be telling us why only one candidate turned up, one potential candidate turned up at last night's meeting of Louth County Council when uh, eight hadn't sort of pretended that they were going to turn up, but only one turned up. We will be getting a reaction to that. We're going to begin today, though, with another look at the crisis in the nursing industry because the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation have told the government that there is a crisis in the sector uh, over inadequate pay rates. We've also seen this week where the Public Pay Commission has said that it disagrees and that pay wages and rates are not a factor. Nursing Homes of Ireland, that is a body which looks after the people, some of whom are moved from hospital accommodation into nursing homes to free up beds in the hospital sector. But there is a crisis there as well. And I spoke to Tyg Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland about this. Yeah, I think this is something across the wider health and social care service. I mean, we've had some difficulties in the last number of years with nurses. Uh, that has eased somewhat, but the, the, the pressure point at the moment in the nursing home sector is primarily around the availability of healthcare assistance. Uh, we've flagged this about a year and a half ago. Uh, and we've been uh, engaged in uh, recruitment drives across Europe uh, and also across the domestic market. Uh, but what we're finding now is that uh, we've probably exhausted that supply uh, and we're engaged with government on the requirement as we see it to uh, amend the categories of ineligible lists uh, and to recruit people from non-EEA countries. So at the moment you have a, a vast number of, of vacancies across your, your industry and you can't fill them? Well, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the vacancy rate is due to people maybe moving on. You might have some carers who uh, retrain to become nurses. And there's natural attrition rate. Uh, and then, obviously, you have, the, the, in tandem with that, the ageing population, the ageing demographic, uh, the dependency level of older people getting more tired. So there is a greater demand for healthcare assistance in nursing homes, in the acute hospital system, and indeed, I speak to uh, many people in the home care sector. Um, so this is something that isn't going to go away. Um, the Minister for Business, Heather Humphreys, made some changes recently in respect of the agri-sector. 
So what we're looking for is that she would uh, amend that legislation to uh, include healthcare assistance on the, the category of employment for, for, from non-EEA countries. And in particular the Philippines, because I'm told that the supply in the Philippines could solve the problem in one fell swoop. Yeah, pr- pretty much. I mean, you know, Philippines, probably India as well. Uh, but, you know, from across the Irish Health Service, there's large numbers of, of Filipino and Indian nurses, and they tell us, and indeed from our own research, there are people in those countries who are very, very keen to come to Ireland and see their future in Ireland and can make a significant contribution to care and care of the older person in Ireland. So it it makes sense on so many levels. Uh, We're not looking for, uh, you know, uh, something seismic to be changed by way of legislation. This is something that has already happened, as I say, in the agri-sector, and we're hopeful that the Minister for Business, Heather Humphreys, in tandem with Minister Daly, will be able to address that sooner rather than later. And there is, of course, Tyg, a knock-on effect, because if nursing homes are forced to close beds, then their outlet as, as, a, as a relief for the hospitals, which are currently overcrowded and have huge waiting list problems, uh, that, that outlet is no longer there. That's right, absolutely. I think, you know, that's really the, the, the critical point for Ireland Inc., as it were. And as a society, we need to plan. Uh, and what we're fearful of is that there, if we do have to close beds or uh, restrict admissions to nursing homes, then we, it would put, you know, significant pressure on an already stretched acute hospital system. You know, every year we'd be talking to maybe yourselves and others in the media about the winter pressures. I mean, winter pressures are pretty much all year round now. Uh, we've seen in the last number of weeks, you know, three, four hundred and five hundred people on trolleys in our acute hospitals in the in the in the summertime. And we've had a very mild summer, so but we're very fearful that uh, coming into a, a winter where uh, we we have known that there are challenges coming, and uh, what we need to ensure is that you know the barriers that are there in our case to recruitment of of, of healthcare assistance are lifted so that we can address that. I mean, from the point of view of NHI members, you know, we just get on and do it. Uh, we're in the private sector, uh, so we can recruit pretty quickly. Um, now, there's a cost to that, obviously, as well, uh, but it just shows our willingness to look at solutions. Uh, but we do need the assistance of government on this one. And it is quite common if, if a hospital is trying to free up a bed, they may move a patient into a nursing home, and then that frees the bed up for somebody else within the system. Absolutely. I mean, a functioning nursing home sector is, is a vital part of a well-functioning health service. Uh, last year, and uh, you know, I don't want to bamboozle you with figures, but uh, almost 9,000 people transferred from nurse, from the acute hospital system to nursing homes under the transitional care initiative. So, you know, without a, a, a vibrant, um, sustainable nursing home sector, then our health service would be would be in a much more difficult position than it already is. Finally, Ty, what, what can you do next? Can you put pressure on government? Well, that's the plan, I suppose. I mean, we have, to be fair to Minister Daly and indeed Minister Humphrey's department, we met with the both departments jointly two weeks ago. They've asked us to come back with some, I suppose, some more data and some more figures, which we're happy to do. Once we submit that, then we'll be obviously talking to all departments and indeed Minister Minister for Health primarily, so that they can uh, make the recommendation to the Department of Business to, to do this pretty quickly. Our information is an understanding and confirmation from the Department of Business. It happened in the agri-sector in a period of four to five months. You know, time isn't on our side, so what we'll be doing in the next number of weeks is making sure that we provide the evidence uh, and then leaving it up to government to make what is a sensible decision all around. Tyg Daly there, the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland, one of the one of the key areas that is going to come up for discussion today when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael sit down to start discussing the budget is, of course, going to be healthcare. And you'll have heard from Tyg there that even in the nursing homes sector, there is a crisis at the moment. Joining us now to look at those talks between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and what has become known as Long Letter Gate is Declan Brannock, Fianna Fáil TD for Loud. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Carl. Confidence and supply agreement. Where are we exactly, do you think? Uh, well, I think uh, the two words in themselves uh, describe where we're at. Um, Fianna Fáil 
uh, entered an arrangement that's related to supplying certain uh, issues and resolving those problems for uh, the people of this country. Um, and certainly uh, those issues have not been resolved and they are mainly housing, uh, homelessness and health, um, not to mention many others, but uh, they're the main uh, uh, items. Uh, confidence, as you know, exists when people feel that progress has been made. And while many people are probably listening to you this morning will say, ah, they're all part of the one cabal, the reality is that the National Treatment Purchase Fund last year in the budget was a Fianna Fáil proposal that has reduced some of the wait- some of the waiting lists, uh, the increase um, uh, for social welfare uh, that a lot of people said that the OD wouldn't deliver was delivered. So um, the, the issue of that confidence... Uh, it, as committed to uh, in the confidence of play, uh, will be finalised in a third budget. And, uh, as was the agreement that you, would, you agreement would support the government for three budgets. Absolutely, and that's what that's the course we are on. Were, were you surprised then, Deputy, that Leo Varadkar issued this letter publicly and that he, he made it very clear that he wanted negotiations to begin now on an extension of this agreement now? Uh, uh, this has been reiterated this morning by Dennis Nocton, uh, the Minister for the Environment, who has actually said that the negotiations should take place in tandem with the talks which begin today on the budget. Well, I totally disagree with both uh, views. Uh, Leo Varadkar knows from me how Martin is. Uh, discussions did, uh, initial discussions did take place early in the summer. Uh, you know, issuing letters uh, that are put into the public arena, I think, just show what they're worth. Um, I spoke to Michael Martin yesterday on the phone, uh, the same way as any other uh, Aroctus member is available to, and I'm sure uh, phone calls and meetings could take place without uh, public letters and public uh, letters being put in the public domain. Why, why did he do it? Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, you know, he, he he will have his reasons, and I'm sure the main reason he is uh, telling the Irish public is that uh, you can't go on on a week-to-week and a month-to-month basis. He needs uh, a longer term uh, length, a longer time to 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 fulfil uh, his ambitions. The reality is, the Fianna Fáil committed to fulfilling the three budgets. Fianna Fáil are in that negotiation in relation to Derry. Say. Uh, get a greater focus on housing which should have been there long ago and we've been calling them to account on that uh, to see further increases in social welfare and indeed uh, tax cuts and uh, both Brian Cowan and Michael McGrath are in those discussions currently and the, the public out there that I have represented an, an honour to represent on a national basis for the last two and a half years there are many opinions in relation to what should happen there are people gagging to see a general election uh, the reality is Do you is, think Leo I mean there's a backtrack today but do you think Leo wanted the general election. That's why he did this yesterday? Look, there are various schools of thought on that. I certainly believe that he was trying to uh, manoeuvre Fianna Fáil into a corner uh, of, uh, uh, if you like, himself getting off the hook once the budget was over. That's not not for not for happening within Fianna Fáil. What will happen is we will, as we said, support the budget that will have some Fianna Fáil stamp on it. We're not in government. We can't deliver everything. But when you look at the issues... You are propping them up, though, Deputy. I said confidence applied. That is the image certainly out there, Cahill, that, and I'm sure many of your listeners will say, we are propping them up. Look, at the, 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 the reality is that uh, any national public representative of any party and all, that the Oireachtas as a group of 158 uh, are obligated to try and, fo- um, and deliver some form of stability, some progress in our economy uh, and reassurance that this growth that is happening will continue. But that does that is uh, not sufficient in that there are clearly people being left behind. The, the, those uh, with, with bad
bad health, mental health. Uh, I mean, day and daily, I'm dealing with issues in relation to disability services here in the region. Uh, for my part, I'm there two and a half years. Uh, your listeners know that that a doll can survive for five years, so effectively, they're just roughly halfway in that term. And in fairness to Radcare, he's probably or Leo Radcare or Tishuk is probably looking to uh, have a further length of time. Uh, doesn't matter. To me, and I'm sure John McGuinness, who is saying there should be an election, I put my head down. I deal with the, both the local issues, the county issues, the regional issues, the national issues, and I'm available to listen and hear what whether you're in business, there has, you're looking for a medical card, or whether you have issues in relation to... There has, Deputy, just, just to, to go back to the Leo Varadkar situation, there has been some backtracking today because in an interview with the Irish Times with Pat Lee, their political editor, Leo Varadkar says that uh, there is no autumn election, and he also says that Fianna Fáil's stance is not unacceptable. Now, this is quite contrary to what was said yesterday when Regina Doherty, for example, uh, local TD, said uh, Fianna Fáil's reaction was childish. Well, look at, uh, you know, there are people who believe he's looking for an election. This is my view uh, that while people are suffering and the issues need to be addressed in the upcoming budget, and we'll see what that takes, but you know, the, 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 the pitch is very crowded in relation to, dare I mention the word Brexit, I'm here at a conference this morning organised by Leo and uh, the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland in Ballymiscan. That's Leo as in the Loud Enterprise. <laughs> Sorry, Loud Enterprise uh, uh, office. Uh, uh, excellently attended uh, conference and all credit to those who organise it but we have the presidency coming down the road where there will clearly be an election uh, talk of referendums uh, indeed you have the local elections and European uh, next year uh, The bookies are now saying it's two to one that we will have an election next year uh, Look at uh, when you see that sort of price been offered uh, the bookies usually uh, their price is dictated by uh, the, the normal public interest in, in backing at two to one that's saying that there may not be an election into, until 2020 time will tell uh, it's Michael Martin's hand and the negotiator's hand in relation to whether there will be an election next year or not if if we get that confidence that is needed that that the, this government will get really serious about housing and homelessness and addressing the health issues that are referred to. I think within the constraints and the financial constraints that, that every uh, country is under and compounded by Brexit, there is, uh, it's incumbent on, on, on me as a local public representative, regardless of my political hue, to uh, try and ensure that the economy stays on the rails. So would you, would you support a renegotiation after the budget? Uh, and an extension. I, I believe it needs to be renegotiated if we get a clear commitment, as we did as I said earlier, for example, in the National Treatment Purchase Fund or indeed social welfare issues, that it's incumbent on us to provide uh, that sense of stability. So an extension? Uh, I, 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 look at your listeners or some of your listeners will say there would a Declan Bonnet once another two and a half years. Uh, you know, and you know, you'll have all those that cynical approach. I'm here to try and make an improvement regardless of my politics, for the people of my community, the people of our region so, or our country. So I can take that as a yes? Uh, you can take it, Carl, as you like. Uh, <laughs> the reality is... It that sounds the, like a yes to me, Deputy. The, the Parliamentary Party uh, will be, will be uh, informed of the outcome of the discussions, uh, which won't take place uh, until after the budget. And at that stage, we're into... Probably uh, Christmas time, as I said, this is a very crowded agenda in relation to referendums and, 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 and votes. Presidential elections. Pres- the people won't thank us for having another election. Uh, but 
if there's to be one, uh, I'm up and ready for the challenge. I've been Do nominated you? by the party and I look forward to that challenge and once again meeting more and more people on the doorsteps. And it is only through that uh, regular contact and availability which I have tried to provide uh, within a large constituency of Louth and Coastal Mead to represent the people to the best of my ability, regardless does, of politics. Does this strengthen Fianna Fáil's hand going into the budget talks, which I'm led to believe begin today? Yes, there was pre- uh, preliminary discussions yesterday and will continue on, uh, obviously, till we get uh, within the parameters. And Michael McGrath uh, uh, and Brian Cowan, uh, or, uh, Barry Cowan, are quite capable of... Uh, putting forward uh, within the financial constraints what should... But, the, but the, metaphorical, the metaphorical gun you were holding to Fine Gael's head has to be stronger now on the fact that already Leo Varadkar has backtracked today and said this is not unacceptable. Uh, yes, I don't like the phrase a meta- metaphorical or otherwise of a gun to anybody's head. Uh, we've had too much of that in the past. The reality here is that we we have got to be realistic and realistic to the public. I think Michael Martin has been that for the last number of years, despite people saying and you saying uh, that Fianna Fáil are propping up a government. Not couldn't be further from the truth. We are holding them to account. We put ourselves forward. You can pull the plug. To, you can pull the plug tomorrow morning, deputy. Of, of course, we can and could have uh, in the past and will. If, if, if a situation presents itself that this government is not accountable to the people within the parameters of their, of their financial availability. We, do, we don't want going back to, to, to situations that uh, many of your listeners will blame Fianna Fáil for. We have got to be prudent, we've got to be careful, but we're also obligated to deliver for those most in need in our community and they, they centre around issues of mental health and homelessness and provision of proper health services. I have one final question for you, Deputy Brannock, and your, your party colleague and uh, Mead East, or Mead West TD, I keep getting that mixed up, I think I'd be much happier if it was just called Mead, but anyway... Uh, um, Shane Castles yesterday got very animated when I asked them, uh, Sinn Féin, on an election footing, they say they want to go into government. What's your position on going into partnership with Sinn Féin? Uh, I have been uh, unequivocal in that and uh, uh, one of the main reasons in supporting Michael Martin that I've indicated to him uh, that his, uh, it was very easy uh, to uh, facilitate Sinn Féin uh, and for Fianna Fáil uh, to provide the next Taoiseach in this country and that's uh, obviously something that is a praise that some people may want to achieve but my personal opinion is that they're not fit for government I've said it all along, Michael Martin has said it uh, we see as how they are being controlled, uh, I think somebody else used the phrase earlier this week, all you should do is look around Leinster House, how you look around uh, you know they're making a big song and a dance about the announcement of the presidential uh, candidate and how that's going to be uh, a, a process of selection uh, I'm sure it will be uh, but all you have to do is look at their leadership election. It's being controlled and still being controlled, even though people uh, have uh, propped up uh, uh, the Sinn Féin leadership by saying the IRA have gone away. I can tell you, I know many of them, I meet them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they are in an interregnum situation. Michal, Michal Martin says in the papers this morning that the IRA senior council still controls Sinn Féin. Um, uh, one walk around Leinster House would tell you uh, uh, that uh, there is certainly an element of influence. Pierce, Pierce Doherty denied all that this week at the thinking. Yeah, but sure, look, at, I mean, uh, you will get that. All you have to do is ask uh, the PS, PSNI or indeed uh, our Garda Shikana here. And I know we had a flip-flop uh, uh, where in an earlier um, uh, commissioner indicated uh, uh, different to what I'm saying is, but you talk to the Garda Shikana on the ground, and I'm sure Drew Harris will be doing that in the uh, forthcoming future, uh, they are, uh, 
as they say themselves and have said in the past, we haven't gone away, you know. Deputy Declan Barnock, Fianna Fáil TD, thank you for your time. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, coming up now, we're going to discuss traffic congestion on the N2 and a delegation from me, the East Met, yesterday with government officials and uh, Minister Shane Ross to discuss the horrific situation that motorists on that road face every morning and every evening and, of course, the concerns of local residents. So joining me on the line now is Councillor Joe Boner, Independent Councillor on Meath County Council, who led the delegation, and Councillor Alan Tobin, who's a Fine Gael Councillor on Meath County Council. Councillor Boner, if I can start with you first, um, who did you meet and how did it go? And we're going to go now instead to Councillor Alan Tobin. Alan, are you there? We will come back to this in one second. The line has dropped, uh, but we will be discussing the congestion on the N2 and only last week. Uh, one of the mornings coming over, I think it was the morning that there was a very serious accident on the M1 and the traffic on the N2. I happened to turn right coming from Rathfoy instead of going straight across to come to Drogheda and uh, eventually I did a turn in a gate and came back up the road, such was the congestion and I can only understand how motors every morning must feel with all of that. Now also coming up this morning we will be looking at the presentations last night to Louth County Council ahead of the presidential nomination. Only one candidate, Gavin Duffy, a man who has already received the backing of Meath County Council turned up to that meeting. We will be talking to Casey O'Reardon who was there for us and also we will be getting the reaction of at least one of the local councillors on what can only be classified as a snub. We're going to go back now though to the N2 and joining me on the line is Councillor Alan Tobin, Fianna Gael Councillor on Meath County Council. Good morning to you Alan. Good morning, how are you? Uh, congestion on the N2, as you may have heard, I experienced it myself last week but that was a once in a, in a blue moon situation. People are experiencing this every single day. Every single day and uh, I calculate that it, it, it accumulates to about, you know, people are doing it on a daily basis, they're getting delayed by 30 minutes one way, 30 minutes coming home, uh, it's about 240 hours which equates to 10 days sitting in your car at Pymouthstown trying to get through usually a, a four to six kilometre tailback. I mean, effect- effectively, this runs from the, the cemetery there in Ashbourne all the way back to the turn for Rathfoy, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And um, the motorway, obviously, it, it, it stops there at the Rath, uh, where the Pillow Hotel is, and it needs now to be extended out, or, or something needs to be done uh, to, to, to bring it out beyond Kilmoon Cross out towards Rathfoy there. That's the only answer for it. Now, in fairness, we had a meeting with Minister Ross uh, yesterday and he said, look, I can't promise you anything. You're not, you're not going to be able to leave here and announce something that we're going to, to do something for people. But I think for the residents in around the area, Curraha, uh, Rafai, and where the rat runs are, we at least got some comfort that there's a couple of projects that we have coming down the line that he said he'd prioritise and try to fund. And what are they exactly, Councillor? Uh, traffic calming measures. Um, Curraha in particular has a huge problem with um, just with the volume of traffic coming from Taylor Park Taylor Park is I think 6th or 7th most popular uh, destination uh, tourist destination in, in, in the country uh, one third of its business comes from Northern Ireland and Google Maps and SatNavs being SatNavs they will direct you to the, the quickest way to get to a destination and in some cases that's bringing you down some local roads and some rather than the regional roads and things like that so there's a couple of junctions in around the Curraha uh, area where um, Swan's Pub is, uh, people will be familiar with that, where that is. Uh, there's a junction there that has become particularly dangerous and has uh, quite a few RTAs, road traffic accidents there, uh, some very serious. And uh, the speeding in that area uh, has become a problem and it's become a problem for the school in particular because you're getting HGVs coming up a regional road there, uh, speeding coming past 
the, the, the primary school and there, there's serious concerns there. There's serious concerns at the church, at the graveyard. And um, basically a, a small country village is, is now, you know, overrun with a huge volume of traffic, which are skipping the N2 purposely to avoid the traffic lights and, 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 and the, the tailbacks on the N2. Now, in terms of the motorway, it stops, as you say, at, at the Pila Hotel there in Ashburn. I mean, how long will it take to extend the motorway or is there any chance of the motorway being extended? We've been told eight to ten years, which is just, you know, uh, it, that's the nightmare scenario that, that if people were, were to, to, to have to sit in their cars for that length of time, uh, you know, or not for that length of time, but for, for ten years before there's some sort of a satisfactory uh, resolution to this. Um, we've had kind of piecemeal bits of money spent uh, on various different things. And at the moment, we are at the, the situation where, where, where a business case is being sought to see uh, what kind of a resolution, I suppose, that would be preferred in that area there. Um, but we have some problems, in particular with job creation and things like that. Uh, Tato Park was to put in an application for a hotel uh, up at the park. That would have provided construction jobs, but an awful lot of full-time and part-time jobs when the hotel was built. Hotels around the area are, are, are full on account of, of Taylor Park in the summertime in particular. And um, with advice from Mead County Council and the CII Transport Infrastructure Ireland, uh, they were advised that, that there was no point in putting in their application form for that because it would be rejected on the ground that the traffic volumes coming into the park and everything else would be far too much for the road to handle. So we're, we're, we're kind of chicken and egg situation I suppose at this stage do you know what I mean and, and there's an awful lot of development already underway in Ashburn and I'm sure that's going to stretch out towards Slane as well absolutely you know and, and I mean we have a, a, a wonderful plan there for a film studio coming to Ashburn and things like that and Ashburn is becoming a really good set, uh, destination for the likes of, of, of logistics and transport companies and things like that because we have the motorway but people are forced to live further out uh, from the commuter belt purely on, 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 on cost. You know, they can't afford a home. The average price of a home in Ashburn now is 380000 for a brand new home. And they're being forced further and further out. But the, the consequence of it is, I suppose, that they, they are now having to commute long, long commutes. And when we have a bottleneck like Primatestown, we're forcing people to, to go on to other back roads and we're ruining the lives of those people in those rural areas that are now afraid to go out and exercise their horses, are afraid to go out and leave in time to have a walk, because literally there are cars continuously streaming by on small country boreens, effectively, uh, that aren't safe. Now, we will uh, talk to Councillor Joe Boner again on this. Unfortunately, we've had communication problems with Joe this morning, but we will get back to him. Joe led the delegation yesterday, Alan, isn't that right? He did indeed, yeah. yeah. So we, 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 we went into the Department of Transport um, with a delegation of uh, councillors, um, TDs, uh, TD representatives and uh, local business representatives and local concerned residents. And um, we're very grateful for that meeting uh, to have taken place. And um, it really highlighted the problem, I think, to, to, to the Minister. Uh, and and it, it really did prioritise uh, it in his mind, if you like. So, I, I, I you know, it, it really gave him a picture of what's going on on the ground. Well, I, I suggest you bring him down at 8 o'clock any morning or half 7 and uh, give him a proper look at it and he might get a different view of it completely. Can I ask you about another issue uh, in your locality because uh, Gormanston Beach, uh, there's been a number of cars uh, dumped there, burnt out, raced on the beach. What is the situation there at the moment, Councillor? I do some work with um, the, the, the Gormanston um, Beach Committee uh, led by, by Sean Crossan. Fantastic group of people. 
um, really, really dedicated to their area, love their area. And it's heartbreaking. I, I, I'm involved in, in Tidy Sounds and other projects here in Ashburn as well. It's heartbreaking to see them doing the job that they're doing and on a consistent basis people are coming down and they are getting rid of huge amounts of waste. This isn't just, you know, a, a cup thrown out of a window or anything like this. I mean, if you look at the footage that I gave you there uh, during the week, um, that was from a resident who goes out for his early morning walk and here's a car out in the, 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 the tide. Uh, it's bobbing around in, in the sea. And that car is, is almost two weeks out on that beach. And, and we have a policy for taking the cars in, but there, there, there's... A bit of confusion, I'd nearly say to you, between the Gardaí and the council, where there's this assumption that the car may have been used in a in a in a in a crime, right, and that they want to try and see can they get evidence of it. But the, the car needs to be taken off the beach full stop. I mean, we've tourists coming down there and everything else, and people coming down for the walk. Where are the cars coming from? My suspicion is that the cars are being uh, brought into um, unlicensed uh, waste collector, so so a scrapyard. Uh, they are given, the, you know, person gets whatever it is, 50 quid, 100 quid or whatever it is for the car. They, I don't know if they're given their end-of-life certificate or not, or just sending their end-of-life certificate themselves down to, down to, 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 to the Department of Transport in Shannon. And I would assume that people within the scrapyard itself or people coming into the scrapyard, younger people are saying, I'll take that car. So there's a, there's a ta- half a tank of juice in it. It has no tax, it has no insurance. Most and we'll have a bit of crack. Fails. We'll have a bit, bit of crack on the beach. I go down and I'll do a few donuts on the beach and whatever else. And like, I mean, the residents down there are so annoyed with quads and 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 cars going down there to do that. Actually, one of the times that the, the, the last time I was down there uh, doing a beach clean with the residents, we found an awful lot of tin foil with burn marks on it and, and, and drug paraphernalia. So at night time, well, there's drug taking going on down there as unfortunately, well. Unfortunately, Council, we're running out of time, but it is an issue you have raised it, and uh, I'm sure people can see the, the evidence for themselves on your fa- social media. No problem at all. Councillor Alan Tobin there. Thank you so much, Fine Gael Councillor. I'm Meath County Council. We're going to be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. Now you will have heard on the news headlines and we will be coming back to this story very shortly. But only Gavin Duffy turned up last night at the presentation by pre- presidential hopefuls to Louth County Council. And Marie Cairns joins us now with the comments. Marie, a lot of debate about the presidential election and our listeners are captivated. Well, I suppose it's more, it's not so much captivated by the presidential election. I think they're annoyed on behalf Mm. of councillors that there was such a no-show last night. And I know we're going to be covering it after the 10 o'clock news with Casey. But just to say that we had a phone call from Eileen this morning. And Eileen is one of those who is not terribly impressed, Carl. And she says, it's hardly presidential-like. When the people who you're trying to persuade, uh, you know, when the people who should be trying to persuade you to give them your vote, don't even bother to show up. And that's the point that Eileen is making. I think there was just one, we'll have to say, um, Gavin Duffy was there, but uh, the rest, no. And I don't think Sean Gallagher was supposed to be there. Mm. I don't think he had intended to speak. But Casey will give us the rundown um, after the 10 o'clock break. And, and we'll, yet, we'll yet be getting... La- last week, Gavin Duffy couldn't make the meeting in Meath, but got the vote. And this week he makes Well, them. no, he did address... 
he did the address. Oh, he did. Sorry, he did. He did. Apologies. He yes, did address did. the meeting immediately. He just wasn't there for the for actual the vote. Yes, apologies. Vote. I apologise to Gavin for that. No, no bother. Uh, another listener was in touch. Alan uh, phoned in also, and Alan just says that he thinks this whole thing is a load of nonsense. The amount of time that it's taking up, and he says you look there that you had councillors that actually went to uh, a meeting and. Nobody, you know, the only one person bothered to address them. He said, what a waste of their time. And he thinks, you know, how often is this going to happen with the county councils throughout the country? And he says, we have a good president. He's doing a fantastic job. Why change him? And that's the point that Alan is making. So, look, I'm sure we're going to have lots more in about that uh, during the course of the morning. But we've had some um, response to a lot of different topics uh, that we've been covering this week, Cahill. Um, In relation to the post office, there's just two here that I want to read out that I think are particularly relevant. Uh, And we've been covering that extensively, the closures. And I know you touched on it yesterday again with some of the guests, but Betty was in touch. And uh, Betty is wondering, would there be any possibilities that uh, post offices could be joined with credit unions and maybe have them set up in rural areas? Uh, She thinks this could be a good idea because many people travel to credit unions and maybe if you had both services operating. Ray Angelique was in touch and Ray, and I don't think those who are fighting for the post offices will be too happy with his comment. But anyway, I'll read it all the same. He feels that the post office is dead. He says, I pay all my bills online and I've not licked a stamp in years. What the government need to do is get community transport to these locations where the post offices are going to be your nearest post Mm. office, if you like. He feels it will be a lot cheaper. And that's his thoughts on it. He says you cannot subsidise a dead horse. He must have good broadband. He must have. A lot of people (laughs) in rural Ireland don't. Well, he's Jalik, he says. Mm. So that's a very good point, Cahill. Mm. A lot of people don't. And also a lot of people don't like to do all their their banking and such online. Some people like to go into the actual post office and pick up their pension. My mother has struggled with internet and computers, so I think that's not really an option for her, for example. There you go. Um, another, another listener was in touch in relation to your interview with Deputy Shane Castles yesterday and says that uh, in relation to this deal <laughs> with Fine Gael, uh, Shane Castles is at pains to point out that Fianna and Fáil are not in government but they may as well be because they seem to be propping up the government and even in relation to the housing situation where you have so many people in a desperate situation not be able to get a roof over their head you have Fianna Fáil not willing to back a no confidence vote in Fine Gael, so that says it all. Every Fianna Fáil uh, deputy we've had on while I've been here for the two weeks has said they are not in government but they are part of the confidence and supply agreement so the problem yes, is well, they're not, technically they're not technically in they're not in government Michael phoned in and Michael says that he reckons this is his prediction uh, Michael from Trim reckons that we definitely have an election before Christmas don't be saying that to us <laughs> we, are, we will have won we're going to have a presidential, presidential election. election but he, he thinks that there will be an election he thinks that um, Fianna Fáil are going to have to do something or else they are going to lose a lot of seats when it does happen if they stall any further. Well, Leo came a little backtrack this morning, front page of the Irish Times. He says there will not be an election this year. 
Okay, but that's so. yeah. But he's saying he's not going to call one. Mm. But he, his hand may be forced by, if, if, by if, the party that's not in government. By the party that's not in government. Um, we also had a phone call from Parade um, in Drada in connection with the same topic, and Parade thinks. More, a bit like the last the last caller in regard to the presidential election, it's all a load of nonsense. She thinks, is this just a publicity stunt for the two parties, like to to give off that vibe that oh we're not you know we're not really uh, in cahoots and you know we have to kind of sing and dance around each other for a while to put that across and then sure we'll be all lovey dovey again once we get the budget. <laughs> well, the other thing the other thing with the presidential election is it's a great advertisement for Dragon's Den. Well, it sure is. Yeah. That, is that still on the air? It's going to be back next year, I believe. Okay. And I don't it, think it's on it, air at the moment. Will it, will, will it be the same dragons? Well, hardly if one of them is going to be a... President. A, a president. But no, I, I just want to go then to another caller. Uh, Carmel also phoned in. And Carmel, again, was contacting us in relation to the presidential election. And Carmel says that she would have liked to have seen an interesting one. But there is a couple of women in it. But Carmel mm. was saying that she feels that in relation to part, like actual... Um, political parties that she feels that perhaps Fianna Fáil should have put forward their own candidate and maybe gone for a female. Well, Joan Freeman has got the backing of Cork City Council already. That's right. And uh, our old friend, the Marilyn Monroe impersonator, is out there somewhere. And Gemma Doherty is out there right. as well. So there, so there, there are a number. A, there are a number in the mix. Whether they get to the election stage or not, we have to wait and see. Okay, and then there was just one on um, the new. Have we time for one more? And look, we'll do it after the break. We'll do it after the break. We're going to be back with headlines or later on. Thank you so much, Marie. We'll be back after these with the headlines. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the presidential election is starting to gather momentum with, of course, the news last week that Sean Gallagher is now definitely a candidate. Gavin Duffy has already received the backing of Meath County Council in his bid to seek a nomination. And last night, Louth County Council invited potential candidates to address them. Eight candidates had accepted the invitation. But Casey O'Reardon, our senior reporter, joins us. Only one candidate turned up, Casey. I know, yeah. A big surprise. I felt a big surprise that only only one showed up. And definitely councillors seemed to be kind of surprised and probably weren't too impressed that they'd given up their evening to come and just one had the decency to show up. Now, three did send apologies that they couldn't make it and one said that they were going to be late, but ultimately do we, do we never know came. Who the three were? Yeah, so Peter Casey, Gemma O'Doherty and John Rourke said they, they couldn't come. Um, now, I know Ross Common was on yesterday, so whether it was literally just logistical and Marie Gorietti Moylan who I've yet I'm not sure has appeared at any she's asked to appear at yet apparently said she'd be late but was a no-show as far as I'm concerned I didn't see her there And the other three potential visitors were incommunicado Nothing didn't hear a dicky bird now at all So, so it was, Gavin Duffy definitely had a private audience This sounds them. almost like a papal audience was it a sort of a a mutual love-in between all concerned? or <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean, the process was supposed to be that they all got 10 minutes in a row and then they would have a joint question round. But after Gavin's 10 minutes, it was kind of like, OK, well, I guess we'll just go to what questions now. <laughs> like, it was a bit of a kind of, you know, fly by the seat of your pants thing. They had their, their kind of agenda they laid out was thrown out the window then at that stage. Marie Cairns is still in the studio. Are you surprised at this, Marie? Astonished. Like, last week, Casey, we had eight candidates Eight. turned up in, in Meath. Mm. And it was all the same, with the exception with uh, Peter Casey was on this list, but I think he, he never attended the show because he had sent a kind of a declaration mm. ahead of time that was circulated to councillors, so he, ne- he never planned to be there. But um, I, yeah, I was really surprised to just see Gavin there. It's an amazing snob, Marie, isn't it? It is. And who were the three no-shows then with no apologies? Who was supposed to be there? 
Uh, would have been the remainder? I haven't got the names in front of me, but I suppose I assume that Jimmy Smith might have been down. Whatever or, uh, Sarah or, Louise Mulligan did, or Marilyn said, Monroe friend. She didn't. And then the, who would the other one be? Whatever the other one was from Loud Counts. Oh, would it be your man feeling the right ex right yes, now? Yes, would have been. Yeah, yeah, so yes. three, yeah. Now, we're joined on the line by Mark Geary, uh, Deary, sorry, apologies, Mark, who's the Green Party councillor on Louth County Council and was at the meeting last night. Good morning to you, councillor. Good morning, Carl. A snub. Yeah, um, it was very strange indeed, and uh, it does bring this part of the process into some disrepute, I have to say. Um, the, the the whole idea that anybody who who fancies a goal can can, you know, declare themselves as interested and, and get on the circuit and issue um, requests to attend and then be given opportunities to attend and then not attend doesn't, doesn't reflect well on the overall process. Um, it's, 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 it's not um, Gavin Duffy's fault that this happened. Obviously, he did, he did turn up. Others probably made strategic decisions that they, have, that they have local authorities already in the bag elsewhere so that Loud wasn't uh, a priority for them. But in, in overall terms, it was um, it, 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 it raises questions about this this, this um, process of, of going around the country seeking the four local authority nominations. I just think there's no vetting of, of, of the intent or quality of candidates at the moment. And and I mean, even a new one emerged yesterday. I haven't seen it covered, but his name is David Doucette. He lives in Canada and uh, is proposing himself as a candidate for emigrants. Um, but again, we must, you know, we must be up to about fifteen now at this stage, are we? I, I, I really have. I mean, somebody, I heard one of your speakers there say, "Your man." You know, that's how everybody's looking mm. at it now. Um, people can't even t- t- take in, take into their heads uh, the names of people they've never heard of. There are so many. So it, it also seems to me that perhaps some people have run out of steam already. Um, that, 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 that the that the rigor of the process of literally, um, figuratively, I should say, knocking on, on doors has got too much for some of the candidates already, perhaps. Um, it is noticeable that there are no, um, there are no politicians, uh, you know, sort of or people who've experienced the, de- the, the demands of the democratic process in the past among the candidates, and it's probably come as a bit of a shock. Except Sean Gallagher did, did contest the last election. Sorry, excuse me, you're right. But um, I mean, is, is a possible councillor that, you know, they've seen Sean Gallagher come into the picture, they've seen Gavin Duffy and John Freeman get support already, Michael D. Higgins is obviously going to run and Sinn Féin are going to announce their, their candidate sometime in the very near future, that there's probably no point. Well, look, I mean, they've, they've, they've publicly declared themselves as, as interested in becoming the president uh, of, of Ireland. You would think that the least they could do to... Stand up that claim is 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 get through is is see through this part of the process even if it is without hope of success. You know there 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 is a there has to be some level of personal pride in, in making a declaration like this and seeing it through. But there was no evidence of that last night. I know certainly, you know I've run in elections that um I I would have been a rank outsider in you know European elections for instance for the Green Party in in in, in Ireland um North East uh, in 2014. I mean I knew my I knew that. It, it was. I was doing it to represent the party, um, but it, but it didn't. Uh, I didn't not show okay, up. Okay, just just to go back to the presidential election, Casey. The the frustration felt there by Mark wasn't he wasn't the only one. 
Well, no, like I, I managed to speak to a few councillors afterwards and uh, well, actually three Fine Gael ones I spoke to at once and they all, well, they said they were, they were definitely disappointed that only Gavin had presented. Um, and while they said he was impressive, all three indicated to me that they'd still abstained, that they felt that they weren't impressive. In particular, we actually have a clip there of John McGahan who said that, you know, he was impressed by Gavin, but really failed to kind of sway him. Well, let's hear that. So at this point in time, I'm still 99.9% likely to abstain. However, that may change over the course of the next 14 days before we nominate anyone. Gavin Duffy may play an absolute blinder in the next 14 days in the national media or may play a blinder on one or two particular issues that I'm uh, quite are important to me and that may change my mind. But as of tonight and as of tonight stands, I still remain in the same position, which is I will be abstaining. I won't be voting for any candidate. And at the minute, if a presidential election was held tomorrow morning, I would still find it difficult to vote for any candidate. Councillor Derry, did you hear enough from Gavin Duffy last night to vote for him? Uh, no, I didn't. No, um, I uh, I would be firmly of the view that Michael D. Higgins is the outstanding candidate. And um, so, why do we need an election? Uh, well, an election has been called. You know, it was triggered initially by Sinn Fein's decision to, to put a candidate into the field. Uh, so, once you have that, you have an election. That's fine. I have no issue with that. Um, but that's where that's. That's my candidate of choice. So uh, did, did, I hear, did I hear enough from, from Gavin Duffy last night? No, I didn't. I thought his performance was really um, polished and uh, there's no question but that he understands the communication game extremely well. Uh, did I get a sense of, of, of somebody with a, with a really uh, strong uh, vision for the country um, addressing the core issues of the day in that, in that, in that non-political way the President's managed to do. Uh, I have to say I didn't. Um, but other, others may have. And okay. certainly, I, you know, you, I, couldn't, I couldn't fault uh, Gavin Duffy last night for his, and, and he his, commitment, his commitment to the... To, his effort and commitment to uh, making this happen for himself. But... Um, uh, in content yeah. terms, no. Okay, no. so you're not going to vote him. There, there were some councillors who were impressed, and, and we had the selfie selfies out again. Yeah, well, I did see um, Fina Falls. Emma Coffey had tweeted uh, pictures this morning or overnight that I, I had. I hadn't seen her take any, but obviously there was a few pictures afterwards. Um, yeah, I mean, I spoke to Frank Godfrey, who was very impressed with him, and, and, and I think he might have even said that he maybe the reason the other candidates didn't show up was because they felt that Gavin had such support in Louth. But I, I mean, I'm not sure if seven of them would have felt that way. Um, so yeah in terms of you know obviously we've got 10 Sinn Féin counters whether they're going to abstain I mean I spoke to at least three Fine Gael ones that are going to abstain so I've kind of looked into it and really abstentions just pave the way because you only need a majority of those willing to vote so if only five councillors vote if he has three he has it and when do they vote? they'll vote at their next local meeting I think it might be the 17th possibly so we would would you think Marie Gavin Duffy's going to get the loud nomination? well if there's abstentions uh, you think the Fine Gael seem to be the ones you spoke to anyway the councillors mm. they seem to be leaning that way um, maybe they've listened to the Sinn directive Sinn are obviously not going to so that's over half yeah. of the councillors on, on the council well over half but as well if if there's only one nomination and a second he and there's no other anyone else put up against him I think he gets it as well so it's not it's not a complete impossibility that he'll get it and you'd like to think that the fact that he showed up yeah. maybe um, may may persuade we've, those we've, who weren't because like, I know if I was sitting in a chair waiting for people to address me to try and persuade me to give 
you know, to give them my vote, I'd certainly like to hear what they had to say and I'd be a bit disappointed if they didn't show up. Councillor Deary, can I wrap this up with you and just ask you, I mean, you have other things to be doing on Loud County Council than sitting around waiting for people to show up. Yeah, um, I, I had four council meetings in 24 hours. Um, it, was a busy, it was a busy stretch for, for, from the municipal district meeting on Tuesday night through to two during the day yesterday, followed by the presidential one last night. And then had to go into work after. So yeah, I'm pretty tired today. Um, um, but but it, it certainly it certainly it certainly uh, annoyed councillors that, that 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 people hadn't the courtesy to uh, even give apologies. Um, and and as I said already, I, I I really think the idea that that all and sundry can can um, you know join in this forward. join in this in the circuit of local authorities. That's has to be questioned at this well, that's stage. certainly going to be, be another mechanism. That's going to be a topic for another day. Councillor Mark Deary, Green Party Councillor and Louth Council, thank you for your time this morning. If you would like to text us on the no shows last night, 086 1800 658. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. This is the Michael Reid Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun, 086-1800-658 if you would like to text us about the no show from so many candidates or potential candidates for the presidential election uh, to Louth County Council's meeting last night, 086-1800-658. Now, as you will have heard from many guests over the last week or so, this is the time of year when various bodies make proposals to government ahead of Budget 2019. Many bodies, of course, have already made their presentations and yesterday and today, Fine Gael and and Fianna Fáil have begun talks on the proposals for Budget 2019. Alcohol Action Ireland is one of the bodies who have spoken to the government and they are looking to establish a 2% social responsibility level on all off-trade sales, which potentially could raise €74 million Euros annually, as well as seeking to increase the annual licence renewal fee for a liquor off-licence. It's currently €500. Euros. They're looking to increase that to €1,000 and they say that would raise an additional €3.6 million Euros for the exchequer. Joining me to this discuss that is Eunan McKinney who's the Head of Communications with Alcohol Action Ireland and Jimmy Redmond from OFLA which is the National Off Licence Association Good morning to you both. Eunan can I begin with you please and ask you the, the reason behind these proposals and the chances of the government listening to you Thanks for having me on Carl um, The reason behind these measures is that we have a situation where alcohol consumption is again significantly rising and we've seen a trend over the last four or five years where alcohol consumption is rising and that's primarily due to the shift of consumption from the on-trade to the off-trade and we think there's a situation where the off-trade needs some significant cooling because the the level of consumption that's taken place in, in from purchases from the off-trade is now so great. And what we're suggesting is, first and foremost, is to put in place a levy in relation to the sales that will act as small carbon. But also, more significantly, is that we know that there's a situation where 60,000 children are commencing drinking every year, and we're doing very little about actually trying to curb that and what we're saying is that you could raise a significant level of funds that would subsequently be used to uh, fund an initiative that would be targeted at children between the ages of 12 and 16. Um, now we understand that you can't ring fence necessarily the funds but what we want to have is a, a discussion about A, the level of consumption that's taken place because of the impact of cheap available alcohol in the off trade and then to target the funds that could be raised from that, to use it to ensure that children can or are prevented from that early initiation of alcohol, and then also to fund significantly 
some of some of the alcohol treatment programs, which we know are significantly under-resourced. Now, also joining us on the line this morning, and we thank him for his time, is Jimmy Redmond from NOFLA, which is the National Off-Licence Association. Jimmy runs Redmond's Off-Licence in Renle in Dublin. Jimmy, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Thank you for having us on. You're welcome. I'm, 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 I'm assuming from the name Redmond's Off-Licence, you're not one of the supermarket chains or you're not one of the German no. supermarkets. You're, you're a, an independent We're retailer? We're an independent, family-owned, community-based business in the heart of Renle Village. And have you seen, uh, as as Yunan has alluded to there, have you seen a massive increase in business over the years, particularly since the smoking ban came in? Well, no, we haven't. What we've seen since, if you want to go back to the crash, we've seen a fall-off in all sales. And there is a general fall-off in sales. If you look at the reports, they're talking about an increase in sales based from the figures of the crash into which alcohol fell to. What I can't understand is, certainly the stance taken now with a 2% levy and the increase in the excise licence applicable to my trade. Before the government at the moment, we have the alcohol the alcohol bill going through the states, the public alcohol bill, which sets out in the criteria reports and controls and, most importantly, regulation, which controls everything that UNN is looking at there. And giving, a, giving an example, within that report, there is a structural barrier to separate alcohol from minors within that. It's not a levy, it's a structural separation. At the moment, that structural separation has been watered down to a two-point metre divide, which is equivalent to a seven-year-old. We want that put to a, uh, an age of an 18, a buying age of alcohol. Ex- explain what that would mean exactly point. to our listeners, Jimmy. What it means is that you, when you walk into my shop, nobody under 18 is allowed to walk into my premise unaccompanied by an, uh, an adult. It's illegal for them to be in my shop. You can walk into your multiples, you can walk into your groups, you can buy your sweets, you can buy your can of Coca-Cola, and you can buy them beside alcohol and be fully exposed to alcohol. An 18-year-old is entitled to do that. A 12-year-old is entitled to do that. A 5-year-old is entitled to do that in relation to a mixed trading scenario. As part of the current bill, there is a proposal there to segregate that, just to cordon it off, which means a 7- or 8-year-old isn't, isn't exposed to alcohol at that age, at a formative age where they start to formulate things, notice things and be aware of things. But that bill is currently a thousand days before the doll. Yes, and now you have another aspect coming onto that as part of this, of this lobby group. It's going to be another thousand days. A thousand days talking and we're now looking for another increase and another levy, which and you look at it, we have the second highest rate of excise in the European community. It doesn't prevent alcohol sales. Alcohol abuse is a problem. We need to address it. The bill has measures in it which will, won't solve it, but it certainly will go some way towards it. Eunan, can I ask you to respond there to Jimmy's remarks? Well, there's a, couple of, there's a few things that are there. Which just, we don't want to confuse your listeners, but we, what we're proposing today and, uh, is, is in the context of a pre-budget. It's a budget submission. It's a budget about fiscal measures that could be placed in relation to funding, uh, raising additional funding. Now, Jimmy's organisation is, indeed, NOFLA is representing a lot of hard-working family-owned businesses that are essentially independent off-licences. And, you know, they, they, their, their contribution to the overall off-trade is, is probably relatively small. But the fact remains that you know there are uh, there are essentially 
about 3,000 license holders in the country and they are controlling essentially a market that's worth 3.74 billion. And it's a growing market. It's not a shrinking market. It's a growing market. Jimmy and said, Jimmy said the sales are not where they were before the crash. Well, you know, Jimmy can say that, but I'm afraid the data is in front of me and like, the data is self-evident in relation to the, the shift that has taken place into the off-trade. That is a fact. It may be, it may be that maybe the independent off-licenses aren't necessarily getting a, yes. a fair crack at the whip because yes, come in at that point. the dominant... Yes, the Jimmy, dominant. come back in, please. In relation to that point, the sales are increasing from a, a, a crash figure and we're not, we're not contesting that. What you do have to segregate is where are the sales going? The sales are going through, loss leading through the multiples and the groups which claim oh, back... You know where the sales are going, Jimmy? Sorry, the sales are going down people's throats, unfortunately. Because we're drinking too much. We're continuing to drink too much. And the, the day has But the point, the point that Jimmy is making, you know, I, I think, is that if the cheap alcohol is available in supermarkets, is that the case, Jimmy? We're not contesting that people are drinking too much. We never contested that. We agree. What we're looking for is regulation to be put in place to control it. And that means control of below, uh, below cost sales and alcohol through the large groups, of which you are very well aware of. Yeah. Well, in the public health alcohol bill, as Jimmy alluded to, Carl, I mean, the public alcohol bill has a very key measure, which is minimum unit pricing. And that endeavour, which is a policy instrument within the bill, is to ensure that some of these alcohol sales that are taking place in the off-trade will be sold at a higher price. Because at the moment, you can buy, as we've outlined previously, you can buy a unit of alcohol, essentially, a standard drink for around 50 cents in the off-trade. Uh, which is significantly less, you know, and I'm sure you probably yes. on your programs discussed the closure of rural pubs and such matters. And the reason that the on-trade is suffering so much is because the level of alcohol consumption that's taken place in the off-trade because it is cheap and it is exceptionally available. Eunan, in relation to that, yes, the sales are there, but you must also respect that those sales are going through at a, at a cost structure which is not relevant to my members. They are going through bodies which are the bigger people in relation to it, the groups, etc. No, but and I mean, the point, as, point, you're, as you're, as you're also aware, there was a vast reclaimed situation. So, for example, in your 2% levy that you're looking to raise extra funds, there's a vast reclaim going back to the multiples of approximately 25 million per year. That is 100 million in a four year term of a government that is given back to multiples for below cost selling. Which is simple, the simple equation for us, Cahill, is that what we're trying to do is endeavour to protect public health. And we have a situation, and uh, with due respect to the, the business model in, in relation to independent uh, off-licenses, which is, you know, to be respected, and I understand everyone's got to try and make a living, but we're in the business of trying to save people's lives. We're in the business of trying to get people to drink less. And what we're identifying is... Is that not recognised Is that not recognised in the bill that is currently before the doll for a thousand days? Of course it is, and we highlighted that that particular issue. In so why, why isn't this argument about getting that bill through the doll? Oh, because I think my, both myself and Jimmy are probably on the one page in relation to trying to get the bill through the doll. I think we're well, also in relation to minimum unit pricing, which you mentioned. The government has already stated that will not be implemented before the institutions of the Northern Islands are back in situ. So that's well, again, that's in our pre-budget, ask the Minister of Finance not to do that. We'll ask him to implement it. Sorry, Jimmy, Jimmy if, I can just, Jimmy, if I can just ask you, wh- why yeah. did the government want the North to have a government? That's 700 days, I think, at this stage, so that's yeah. nearly as long as the debate on this if, bill. 
if we implement minimum unit pricing at the moment, which was the original plan before the, the institutions collapsed in the north. We drive business across agreed, the border. Yes, it was agreed that they would do it at the same time. So okay. we would have a level. If one does it and the other doesn't, then there's a huge disparity in relation to the price structure and you would have cross-border trade, you'd have smuggling, you'd have everything. You'd Jimmy, have can, can, you, can you as an independent trader, can you afford a doubling of your fee, your licence fee? Can I afford it? No, because when you look at it, I've already had my licence fee increased. I've already paid a huge licence fee for, for what I do in a, in a small market. We have the highest, second highest excise rate in the world, which in Europe, which is massive and has profound effects. An increase, you must remember, in any excise that is hit in the budget comes in at night. I've got to then find that money somewhere to buy my next lot of beer, spirits or whatever. We're not contesting that there is an, an alcohol problem in this country. We are contesting the way people deal with it and associations deal with it and the way the government has dealt with it. And taxation is not a method. It's been there from time begot. It still hasn't worked. We still have the problem. It needs a new view to it. Eunan, can I ask you about the Icelandic experience? Because I was interested in that when I saw your press release. Mm. Yeah, well, what, what, what happened in Iceland, and the, the reason we're doing these two particular measures is because we want to highlight two particular deficiencies in the system at the moment. In Iceland, they had a, a terrible difficulty in the late 90s with children drinking. They had over 45% of their children were drinking. Not too far off what we have. We have ours is around 34% of 15-year-olds are drinking. And what they did was they put in place a, a, a system whereby, whereby children would be caught early at around 12 and 13 and encouraged to participate in group activity, whether it was music, art, sport, whatever the case may be. But as an endeavour to try and capture them at an early age and to make sure that they were part of a peer-led group that was participating in in a a range of activities to distract them from, um, you know, the, the, the highs that they were potentially getting from alcohol and to make sure that they were getting the natural high from enjoyment of sport or whatever activity. And simply what they did was, and they continued to do this, is that they provided a fund in relation to every child in the country so that they could afford uh, and be afforded an opportunity to engage in some of these activities. But and does every child, done, uh, from, from, from my own experience, you and every child in Ireland already has access to sport. Very, very few yeah, children in Ireland don't. I agree with that. Some, some children don't, unfortunately, because, you know... Well, they're, few, they're few and far between, you know. Hmm? They would be few and far between. Well, extracurricular activity can be, can be expensive, depending on... Not every child plays sport. Some children... You are, you know, to do dance already. If you stop below art. cost selling and battery claim, you have twenty five million there every year guaranteed. You can you can have it. You can link fence it. We'd love you to take it. The basic point is that what the Icelandics achieved is that they are now the lowest in Europe. Five percent of children, five percent of children are now drinking in, in Iceland, and that's the, that's the that's surely the, the, the price that we want. We have sixty thousand children drinking, starting drinking every year in this country. And since the bill has been delayed, that's 165,000 children have commenced drinking. Um, That is the future market for the alcohol, and that's the future market for Jimmy, and that's the future market for all the off-license holders. And what we've got to do is recognise... Yes, Jimmy, can I give you the the final word on this, please, because we are running out of time. Yeah. If you look at the regulation in relation to alcohol, if they implemented the regulation and stopped this beware.ie award, Every week you see in the papers, drink responsibly. There is a self-regulatory body that is is supporting the likes of the multiples and the groups for indiscriminate selling. Bring back and do not let us self-regulate. 
we need regulation. I'm not afraid of regulation. My members aren't afraid of it because we're, we're totally regulated. The groups are not. It is self-regulatory. It doesn't work. It's never worked. Well, Jimmy Redmond, we thank, we, we thank you, Jimmy, for your time this morning. That's Jimmy Redmond from the National Off-Licence Association. And our thanks also to Eunan McKinney, who is Head of Communications with Alcohol Action Ireland. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. And this is the Michael Reed Show. We thank you for your time listening this morning. And if you do have a comment to make on any of the stories raised, please text us on 086 1800 658. That's also our WhatsApp number 086 1800 658. Or you can get us across Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter at LMFM Radio is our handle on Twitter. Now, it seems like it's hard to believe that it's almost two weeks since Pope Francis arrived in Dublin on an Alitalia jet and departed just a number of hours later, just over two days, uh, on an Aer Lingus flight back to Rome. And of course, the papal visit attracted many, many headlines, not all of them positive towards the Catholic Church. A respected priest has come out and attacked RTE for its imbalanced coverage of the visit of Pope Francis. Father Finian Connachton is parish priest in Drumconrath and a member of the Association of Catholic Priests. And on the Association's website, he has hit out at RTE over the coverage. Father Connachton joins us on the phone. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I should begin by saying that uh, only for your researcher, I'm not a man for radio, <laughs> and only your researcher twisted my arm, I wouldn't be talking to you. But however, I'm here anyhow, well, as, we're nervous ver- as, as nervous as a cat, as you don't, can hear. Don't be at all. We're very, very happy to give you an opportunity to okay, get your views well, I, I do welcome the opportunity, across. I suppose. When I got myself together, I welcome the opportunity of saying something that I think needs to be said. You don't you don't sit comfortably with the way the paper visit was covered by the media and by RTE in particular. No, and I'm not alone in that. I'm not alone in that. I think you know. I listen to people around the parish, uh, listening to other maybe radio programs, uh, maybe kind of down the country, but just listening to the Shannon side radio there yesterday now and um, get away from our mainstream media, let's say. And uh, I think there it's a different story. It's a different story. I don't think they reflected it accurately are indeed fairly, you know, on the, just for your point of view of your listeners, uh, will I just give a few of the points that Absolutely, I raised? Absolutely, please. I mean... Yeah. You, you know, the, the first one was the amount of items that were broadcast, most of them from archives, well dated, that had a damaging effect on the church in general and priests in particular. That was in the weeks leading up to the meeting, uh, to the World Council meeting, you know. And uh, I don't know whether your listeners agree with that, disagree, I'd love to hear from them. But uh, most people I came across, one lady only this very morning, I was talking to her, and she said, me and my husband, she says, very early on, we discovered how uh, imbalanced the whole thing. So we turned over to Sky News or CNN, and there was a, a, a very a balanced presentation there. And we heard that, and that's what we listen to most of the time. So big switch off. But unfortunately, I think uh, most people don't realize when they're listening to a television, radio, or whatever it is, they presume that that's news, that that is the news. To me, it's fake news, a lot of it. And it's incorrect. It's, it's, if, it's, if it's imbalanced, and I, and I suggest it is, then it's, it's lies. It's another way of telling lies. You know. But, but you have no problem, Father, with the, with, with the newspapers and the radio and television reporting the truth. The truth is what we're after. We're after the truth. Absolutely. As I say, I was listening to your colleague, Joe Finnegan, on a similar subject there yesterday morning on the radio at home. And he said he was coming out in favour of the person who was, who was coming in on the line that I'm all about. And he says, he says, I'm on the side of truth, he said. He says, I have no great, great love, he says, or not necessarily a holy Joe, he said, but I'm interested in the truth. 
and, and that's what we're all about, and that's what I'm about. And, and I'm asking about the truth in relation to the church, in relation to the priest, religious and what have you, which we're not getting at the moment in my book. But so, some of that truth will hurt the Catholic Church? Some of the truth, it, it will, it will, and it has. But why all one-sided? That's my question. Mm. I, have no, I have no bother facing the truth, no problem whatsoever facing the truth. But why only that one side of it? You take, say, the treatment of the Pope, you know, you say how he was presented by our media here. And I think this is what, in fact, it was, if you look at the site, at the ACP site, there's a man writing in there who's saying about a friend of his in Scotland, how he's watching the BBC and how lovely presentation and the wonderful things they had to say about the Pope. How few wonderful things were said in our media about our Pope. The most wonderful Pope that we've had, a reforming Pope who's trying to uh, get things straight in the church. You know, are we going to, uh, was it fair, you know, putting at his, uh, on his table all the sins of the church? You know, I think a lot of people would, uh, well, that would be of my mind, would compare the way in which the Queen was treated when she came here uh, on visit, you know. Did they? Uh, did we all come out and uh, start howling that she should answer for the sins of her people? No, we greeted her uh, courteously and well, and she was well treated and lovely programs about her. Now, where were the lovely programs about the Pope? Uh, that was, uh, as I say, uh, that's just you know. But do you, do you not think, Father, that as as the head of the Catholic Church, then, and that was why he was being associated with with these truths that don't that that don't sit comfortably. Um, yes, but why, uh, why just lay it all at his feet? Uh, he, most of the things that we're talking about, he had no hand, act or part on. In, similarly, as the Queen had no hand, act or part in the sins of the past, you know. But he is, he is the head of the, of the church who, he is, who, he is, who but dealt why with those persistently, issues. Why persistently come up with this? And why, why uh, no, virtually no comment at all, very, very little positive thing on the Pope. Well, there were, there were many. I mean, the, the visit to the Capuchin Day Centre, for example, was one of the positive yeah. things. The, yeah. the meeting with the victims, and I mean, he, he gave them far more okay. time than was expected. Yeah, the, footage, the footage on occasion on occasion was quite good. I'd admit that, the footage on occasion. But the general tone of people presenting programmes was negative to begin with. Do you not you feel know? that reflects some of the anger on, on, on the ground, though? I mean, did, oh, I for you, for so. you, for for example, I mean, is it difficult being a parish priest these days? It is. It is quite difficult, and we have uh, plenty of problems. But on the other hand, there is wonderful support uh, from people, by and large, in the parishes. And I think any priest you talk to will say that that the bulk of people, and that's part of my my um, I suppose my my comment here in this is that I don't think media are reflecting accurately what the people, what the bulk of my people certainly are saying to me. You know, mm. and so many of them were extremely annoyed. And that's why I say I'm talking to you. That's why I talked to print, because they were so annoyed. I said, if we all keep silent uh, now, then nothing happens. And the whole business goes on as before. You and know? For, some, for some people, it was very much a celebration of their faith. It, it was a huge celebration of faith. It was, and I mean, that was the, another point that I raised there in my letter, was the failure of uh, our media to give serious coverage to this wonderful meeting on families, which was up in the RDS. Now, there, there were, I, somewhere I read, I think it was something around 40,000 people per day going into that conference, right? But they, they, were, they were greeted by, by uh, protests from victims of abuse. Oh, yeah. But like even yourself, Carl, I mean, why bring up that now? Why bring up that? Why not answer my question, which was, my question was, why wasn't, the, this properly covered. Like your station, for instance, did you have anyone up there 
uh, covering that event. Well, we did cover the event extensively. And had, I your felt people, had your people outside the programmes interviewing people and saying, what, what, what was the talk about? Not in this instance, Father. No, but I mean, no, what, but RTE, what, or anybody, nobody had anyone outside these programmes interviewing. Here was 40,000 people from all over the world, wonderful speakers giving wonderful uh, talks on all kinds of situations. I didn't hear a word of it, you know, well, because sure, people, they didn't, people weren't interested, it seems to me. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure the Irish Catholic, for example, would have covered it. Can I just it's ask it, you, can I just ask you to, to finish up, Father, if you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind? You, you, you said in the article that priests now are almost uh, seen as Father Heads. Yes. What, what did you mean by that? What did I mean by that? Well, I think your, 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 listeners, your listeners know well what I mean by that, uh, because it is, we're just good for a joke in my book, you know, that any time priest is mentioned, I mean, on the programme I was listening to yesterday, uh, the lady spoke about the priest who went in, a priest from France, mind you, a visitor to our country, who went into a pub for, uh, for a drink and was uh, refused entry, I gather, and then somebody spat at him, you know. And well, the general presentation of uh, priests, I think, on, um, on the public media generally is fairly, is very inaccurate in my book and well, we're happy, good for a laugh. We're happy, Father, to have offered you the platform this morning. To no, reply, and I appreciate and, it. And, and sorry if I sounded a little angry. No, I might have all. started nervous and then got <laughs> angry. <laughs> not but at all. As I say, I, I, feel, I do feel strongly about it and I think I'm reflecting I can, I can, uh, the a lot of people's uh, opinion at Absolutely, this point. and I can hear that in your voice, but thank you so thank much. You much. Thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Father Finian Connachton, uh, parish priest in Drum Connors, and you can see his comments on the website of the Association of Catholic Priests. We're going to be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Carl Dervin. If you would like to make a comment on Father Connaughton's remarks there, our text number is 086-1800-658, 086-1800-658. And Marie will be in with me just around 10 o'clock tomorrow morning to bring your comments on that and any of the other subjects raised today, including the snub of Louth County Council by so many of the presidential election hopefuls. Now, another story that has been dominating the headlines over the week is the appointment and inauguration of Drew Harris, the new Garda Commissioner, and join us to discuss this is Richie Kilhan, a former special branch detective and now, of course, a local politician. Good morning to you, Richie. Good morning, Carl. How are you? True, Harris. Did you welcome his appointment? Um, I suppose I was a little bit tentative um, initially uh, uh, because, of course, it was a massive change. After 95 years of Angarda Shikana, it was the first outsider that took up the position of commissioner. However, having read, um, you know, since his appointment and having listened to him and uh, listened to his vision for the force over the next three to five years, um, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much happier that uh, that he is a man that is well qualified, having been appointed by an independent commission and an independent, an independent assessment board, um, that he is the man actually to lead the force into into change over the next number of years. And of course, he has that uh, huge experience behind him. Having been a former uh, deputy commissioner or chief constable of the PSNI, um, his experience, uh, of course, in 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 overseeing change uh, in the in the uh, police service in Northern Ireland from the RUC to the PSNI as we know it now, in the wake of that Patton report, and uh, you know he he is the man to lead the force uh, with that experience, and he understands, of course, the the, the, the scale of the challenges required to modernise the police force. Which Gives me great hope um, in that he is he is well qualified uh, to lead the force into the uh, into the next number of years. Now it was, of course, a contentious uh, appointment, and the very fact that he is, as you say, a former deputy commissioner with the 
Police service in Northern Ireland. His own father was killed in the Troubles by the IRA. His father was a serving RUC uh, officer at the time. Charlie Flanagan, for example, said this week, he said, we are not hiring from North Korea or Russia. We are hiring an Irish policeman from a police service on our island. And even himself, Drew Harris, when he met the media for the first time this week, said he is an Irishman and not an outsider. But that link to the North did cause some contention, didn't it? among uh, members of Sinn Féin, I think, uh, not, not among the majority of members in the Dáil uh, who backed his appointment. Um, I know I saw him as the best appointee um, simply because uh, he had that experience behind him. And, you know, I mean, Drew Harris is well known to members of Angarda Shirkana having worked very closely with them over the period of the Troubles uh, in, count- in counteracting terrorism, the threat from terrorism uh, in this country. So he was very well respected and would be very well respected within Ungerda Shikana long before uh, his appointment to to commissioner. Um, you know, he has, uh, he, when, when, you, when you look at the last number of weeks and what he has done after the announcement of his appointment, um, he, has, he has met with uh, a number of people who who, who are important uh, to the, to this transformation of the force, notably, I suppose, Kathleen uh, O'Toole, who is a former police uh, chief, Boston police chief, um, and she's head, heads up the Commission of the Future of Policing in, in Ireland, and uh, she is due to publish a report this month, actually, on that uh, on that future of policing. He also met with Josephine Feely, who is chair of the Policing Authority, and Mark Toland, who is uh, the chief inspector of the Gardaí Inspectorate. But not alone that, he met senior members of the force, um, you know, over the last number of weeks, um, whom he would have had personal uh, dealings with over the period, as I said, of the troubles. Um, and it was very telling, you know, in terms of his his attitude and his his immediate attitude very telling as to where he took the Oath of Allegiance. He took the Oath of Allegiance not in Gerda headquarters, you know, surrounded by senior officers and, and politicians. He took the Oath uh, in Kevin Street, Gerda Station. Uh, at a minute past midnight. At a minute past midnight with um, uh, rank-and-file members of the force, which shows that he is, he is truly um, a leader um, that, that uh, has their interests at heart. You know, I, I mean, and of course, in an open letter to the force, which he which he which he issued uh, to the members of the force, um, setting out his priorities and telling them, and, and I suppose the one thing that that resonated with me was that uh, you know he was going to have a workplace of openness and transparency, and he was going to move quickly to adapt to a changing society. Um, the other thing he said was that uh, you know that his intention was to improve the systems and processes. And, and training so that uh, the, the Ungerda Shikana have the right tools and skills to do the job effectively. Uh, and uh, he also said that we, you know, that they would be more open, and he would be more open, and the force as a whole would be more open to concerns raised internally and externally. Now, in order for him to move this process forward, uh, I would be, and I would hope, and I'm sure it will happen over the next number of years, that uh, he will be given the tools and most especially the finances. Uh, from government to invest in this process of change because this has a cost factor. And, uh, you there, know, there are 30 million in the red at the moment. Absolutely. But I mean, if you want to change anything and you need change, you have to change processes and you have to, you have to change, you have to bring the Angarda Shikana right up to date with modern technologies and modern forces. They were working on a shoestring budget and have been 
since the uh, since, since since the uh, recession uh, and the moratorium, uh, of course, uh, you know, which was introduced after the recession. Can, can I just quickly, uh, sorry, Rich, because we're running out of time, can I just quickly ask you to, in conclusion, he has said that dissident republicanism is the biggest threat uh, that he faces coming into the job, but a lot of people would say the Keenan and Hutch feud should be top of that agenda. What would you say to that? The Keenan and Hutch feud, uh, while it's, it's a very, very serious feud, um, uh, I, I don't think it will have an impact on the state. I mean, you're talking about dissident Republicans who have, uh, you know, followed on the process which the IRA had over the last 30 years, 35 years. And whom he's well aware of them. And he is well aware of them. And he's well aware of them, as are the senior officers and, and indeed uh, every member of the force down here. And they are a massive threat to this country. Uh, let, let there be no mistake about it. You have confidence in him? I certainly have confidence in him, having looked at his pedigree and looked at his experience. And I look forward to the next four or five years and, and, and to see the force being brought into to a 21st century uh, organisation. Richie Culhane, former Special Branch Detective, we thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back tomorrow just after 9.15. My thanks to Marie, to Maggie and to Chris. Paul McKenna is next with The Mid-Morning Show. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie